so as Angus gets uh, ready to preach for us, uh, I'm going to pray. Uh, here's all the opportunity for the uh, preschool kids. Uh, so uh, Alice and Leanna, I think, are taking the uh, preschool kids uh, uh, for uh, craft and, and kids church, if the kids want to go as well. Uh, but let me pray for Andis uh, that he may have clear words and for us that we may have uh, ears to hear. Almighty God, we thank you for the gift of your holy word. May it be a lantern to our feet, a light to our paths and strength to our lives. Take us and use us to love and serve all people in the power of the Holy Spirit and in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And be now with Andis this morning as he preaches about church and mission. Help him speak clearly and faithfully and may his words be your words. For the glory of your son Jesus we all pray. Amen. Amen. May I add my welcome to Andres this morning. Uh, my name is Andis, especially if you, if you joined uh, since, since the beginning. And I suppose I am... The new pastor, thank you very much for coming. You know, I, I had this nightmare daydream this week that I turn up uh, to preach my first Sunday sermon here and nobody's there. <laughs> but it just shows how, I, how insecure I am, isn't it? But anyways, it was short-lived. I am very happy to be here and I'm very happy that, that you are here. Uh, let me start with a question. And the question is, is, is a searching one. What does the future hold? What does the future hold? There are many understandable worries and concerns that we all have. Some of us desperately want to find peace. Uh, others, stability at work. Maybe stability in relationships. All of us perhaps are concerned about the ongoing war in Ukraine and how much longer people have to suffer, especially now when we hear the Russian forces again being at the border. And then there is, then there is church, of course. What does the future hold for the church now when Malcolm and Ruth are away? I mean, they did so many things behind the scenes, right? That perhaps that, that went unnoticed, but now they will slowly emerge. Who is going to do that all? And what about the spiritual work? The gospel work? The word work? How are we going to continue as church now? And so guys, I want to particularly focus on the latter worries and concerns this morning. The ones about the gospel work. Today, I want us to continue thinking down the line of what we prayed for Malcolm and Ruth, and indeed for ourselves last Sunday. Do you remember? I want us to take a closer look at Paul's farewell speech that Dinah just recently read to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20. And I want us to tackle our worries and concerns about what the future holds for the church. So what does the future hold according to Paul? I think we can see in Acts 20 that it's not going to be easy, but we see Paul is optimistic. On the one hand, Paul believes that his efforts in, amongst Ephesians, they have not been useless. 
But on the other hand, Paul insists that the church will have to make an effort to gear up for the future challenges. Why is this so important? Because the church that is ready for future, that that church will last. The church that is ready for future lasts. Now what we see after three years with the Ephesian church, Paul is saying goodbye to them. Paul's gospel ministry amongst them has ended. But the gospel ministry in Ephesus goes on. And before Paul leaves, he gives to the church elders a three-point talk. Paul firstly reminds them about their past together. Secondly, Paul warns them about the future dangers. And thirdly, Paul encourages them to act responsibly at the present. So reminding about the past, warning about the future, and encouraging to act responsibly today. I suppose we can reflect, right, can't we? After 12 years of serving the international church, Malcolm and Ruth's ministry in Riga in Latvia has ended. But the gospel ministry to the internationals has not ended. I'm sure that if Malcolm would have one more talk to give, he would choose this passage and this three-pointer. Actually, maybe that is exactly what Malcolm did on Tuesday when he met Andres and Roberts for coffee there down the road. He might have said, guys, you know what I have been doing so far, right? Now continue that and, and keep an eye on this new pastor and on his teaching. Why? Exactly right, because the church that is ready for the future, the future, the church will last. So let's look firstly, Paul looks at past. Paul's example, selfless and faithful witness to the gospel. What was Paul's three years ministry in Ephesus like? What exactly he wants them to remember? Well, firstly, his life and his humble service. Paul wasn't ashamed, actually, to set himself as an example. Just glance in Acts 20, verse 19, and Paul's context, the context of Paul's ministry, with tears and with trials. And verse 33, the manner of Paul's ministry, with all modesty he served. And then look at verse 35 and the purpose of Paul's ministry, impersonation of Jesus' words. What words? It is more blessed to give than to receive. Now Paul isn't saying here anything new. He's simply reminding two times in verse 18 and 34, you yourselves know. It's evident, you know what characterizes the life of the gospel servant. And Paul's example reminds us all that the ministry of God's word is rooted in the context of relationships. Paul didn't hesitate to spend himself for the sake of Ephesians. Now guys, I said already this last Sunday, Malcolm is not Paul, but doesn't Malcolm's ministry and Ruth's ministry remind us that of Paul's, how through ups and downs of life, 
He continued to serve faithfully to you guys, in all modesty, spending himself for your sake. As I was re reflecting, I thought that is exactly what he did. I don't even know how many coffees and brownies Malcolm has treated me over these years. They, they can't be counted, really. But you yourselves know, Paul says, you know. The album that you put together for Malcolm and Ruth, the farewell album with all the pictures and with all the greetings, that is so evident. I have so much to learn from him. But don't you just feel inspired by that kind of example? To meet, to meet up with a brother or sister for coffee during a time of a week, to encourage them in, in a difficult work situation, or maybe to invite someone just for dinner and to talk through some tricky relationships case to support them, or to follow up a friend from uni or, or work or, or a work colleague who expresses an interest in Christianity, but is about to make a really stupid life decision, life choice. I think that example in inspires us to actually get on with that and do it. Well, the ministry of God's Word is always rooted in the context of relationships. You yourselves know, Paul says that. But at the same time, the selfless example of Paul was the context for the word ministry, or else the gospel witness. So there is Paul's teaching and faithful witness. He proclaimed the good news to everyone, everywhere. Glance again at three verses with me. Look at, look at verse 20, everywhere, teaching you in public, and from house to house, Paul didn't shrink from declaring to Ephesians anything that was profitable. That was everywhere. Verse 21, to everyone, satisfying, uh, sorry, uh, sorry, testifying both to Jews and to Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So everywhere, to everyone, and verse 24, to proclaim the gospel of grace. Paul proclaimed the gospel of grace. So what did Paul care about most during his three years ministry in Ephesus? Was these uh, the, the curtains or the fountain, uh, just to use Andre's analogy? No. In, in previous chapter 19, verse 10, we have it. Paul reasoned daily with people so that all the residents in Asia heard the word of the Lord, both Jews and Gentiles, Greeks. To what end? The name, so that the name of the Lord would be magnified amongst them. Again, if I may, that is what I observed in Malcolm's preaching over these past few months. It was a huge blessing for me to sit under the preaching and to learn from him, starting from May. He didn't shrink from declaring anything that is profitable. It was, it was saturated by the gospel of grace. He preached repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
And it was evident Malcolm proclaimed it boldly, loudly, with tears, the gospel of God's grace. Why? Because he deeply cares for you, for your salvation, that the name of Lord Jesus might be magnified amongst God's people. So firstly, Paul reminds Ephesians about the past. You know, he says, you know me? What I have been doing amongst you? But why? Why does he need to remind them of what they already know? Because they will soon need to show their discernment. So Paul secondly warns them about the future emerging of selfish and unfaithful leaders. Paul's warning the emerging of selfish and unfaithful leaders. Now, it seems to me that Paul clearly knows what the future holds for the church. Have you, did you notice that in verse 25 and 29? Two times he says, I know, I know. So, firstly, Paul knows that Ephesians will never see his face again. He is on his way to Jerusalem, and the Holy Spirit testifies that in every city, verse 22, imprisonment and afflictions await him. I mean, these news we see, they really broke the heart of Ephesians on the beach of Miletus. There was much weeping and sorrow, verse 37, and I think we had, I think we weren't too far from this on the beach in Salkrasi last Sunday with, with tears and sorrow saying goodbye to Malcolm and Ruth. Indeed, many of you probably will never see his face again in a few years' time, a couple of years' time. Some of you will end up somewhere else for studies or for work. That is a nature of the international church. In, in Riga, you will never see his face again. But guys, that is not what Paul would want us to be most concerned about that. Paul is much more concerned about the teaching in the church after his departure. Verse 29, Paul knows that after his departure, you read, his wolves will come in amongst the church, not sparing the flock, and from amongst them will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Now Paul's metaphor for the, for the work of the false teachers is actually not an exaggeration. Fierce wolves will devour the flock. Sheep will perish. It is serious, Paul says. It must be more heartbreaking than not seeing Paul's face again in this life. Mustn't it? And you know what? Paul was right. It is exactly what happened in Ephesus, very sadly. If you would, uh, if you would turn up on 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, that is what we read in 2 Timothy chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days, and the last days already now. There will come times of difficulty, for people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, 
unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. That's what sadly happened in Ephesus in furious time. Fierce wolves. I wonder how you picture the fierce wolf when you think about the fierce wolf in your mind. Maybe it is something that you don't like to do, picturing the, you know, the fierce wolves, calling someone a false teacher. That seems harsh, that seems judgmental. We, you know, in a modern society or postmodern or whatever, we just don't do that. And to be fair, I think we shouldn't rush calling anyone a false teacher, but that doesn't mean we should never do it. Now, Paul doesn't hesitate calling Hymenaeus and Philetus by name in 2 Timothy. He eventually calls these two guys by name. Besides, unlike many today, Paul is not calling their ministry progressive or creative or innovative. No, instead he says in 2 Timothy 2, they talk is spreading like gangrene. It's rotten. Is it harsh? Maybe. But it's true. I met a Christian friend for, uh, for coffee uh, this week, the previous week, and we briefly discussed how someone from his church had left to form a more progressive church, an inclusive church, and had drawn a few people with him. It is always so sad. It's always tragic. We should really um, shed some tears over that. And his comment was, I should have seen it coming because so much of his ministry was overshadowed by personal pride. As Jesus says, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Now guys, how do we make sure this does not happen to us? That is the last thing on Paul's three-point sermon to the elders in Ephesus. Let's just quickly recap. Firstly, Paul said, you yourselves know me and my teaching in the past. And we, we said, we knew Malcolm, we knew Ruth, and we know their ministry, their heart, their, their teaching, their love. And it is very important because secondly, false teachers will emerge from among you in the future, Paul says. So thirdly, act now in confidence of the past and in hope of the future. So thirdly, Paul's encouragement, act now and trust, trust the results to God. Entrust the results to God. So where do we see that? Two, again, two, two verses, 28 and 31. Paul repeats his command twice. And what do we see? Verse 28, keep watch over yourselves. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock. And verse 31, be on your guard. Be on your guard. Someone very recently shared his story with me of how he became Christian. It's always beautiful to hear people's stories of how they become Christians. 
And he said, for me now, for me to be Christian is to be soldier. Isn't that what Paul implies here when he says, be on your guard. Be on guard. Keep watch. Guard the flock. That is a job of church elders according to Paul. Guard yourselves and the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Paul echoes here the prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel in chapter 3 verse 17 he is addressed by the Lord. The Lord speaks to the prophet and he says, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. And we will not look, look at Ezekiel very much, but one thing we should know, that the task of, of the watchman, of the prophet, of God's people, was to warn, to warn them not to turn aside from their walk with the Lord and to turn away from their past sin and if however the prophet would fail to do that then the Lord would require the blood of the sinners from Ezekiel's hand and did you notice how Paul could say with clear conscience in verse 26 how after three years of ministry amongst the Ephesians he is innocent of the blood of all. Why? 27. Because he didn't shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. Now what makes someone fitting and qualified as a shepherd? It is someone who constantly reminds, constantly warns and encourages with many words, like Judas and Silas did in Acts 15, encouraging the disciples with many words. And again, guys, I am so thankful for Malcolm's example, how he relentlessly was calling everyone, every time, to believe and trust in Jesus for salvation. He did such a good job at guarding the flock of grace sheep, you. That is something that Paul really wants to highlight here. Did you notice this subtle, subtle detail? Yes, guard the flock, but which flock? Guard the church of God. The church um, at Ephesus wasn't Paul's church. When people were turning up, they weren't saying, oh, let's go to Paul's church. No, the international church in Riga wasn't Paul's church. The, the church in Riga is not Anders' church or anyone else's church. No. It is Christ's church, verse 28, which he obtained with his own blood. How precious the church is in the sight of God. It's Christ's church, purchased by his blood. What a privilege, but also what a responsibility. It was a matter of life and death for Jesus. It will be a matter of life and death for those who serve Jesus. Verse 24, But I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus. Some of you over the past weeks have come up to me and asked, 
you know this question that you always ask, how do you feel about taking over the church? And honestly, honestly, I feel excited, but I also feel scared. Because I'm very well aware of my limitations, I'm very well aware of my weaknesses as a human being, as a pastor. And last Sunday we were having the farewell, good, goodbye, a few words with Ruth. And I, I was saying, I was telling her, you are leaving us with an impossible task. And I will never forget what she told me. She said, I know. <laughs> I know. If we can do it, you will not be able to do it. But God through you. God through you will. Now, how on earth Ruth could say that? Now, she might be a prophet, of course, yes. But how could she know that? How could, how could she be so sure? Please glance with me lastly at verse 32. Paul says, I now command you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance amongst all those who are sanctified. Go through you, the word of God. The word of God's grace is able. It will do the work. And 15 years ago, at the end of my two-year training in London, William Taylor, the, the senior pastor of the church that uh, I spent a couple of years in, gave a short talk from this passage in a farewell dinner to all the students. And his final words were as follows. I feel like being on a beach um, at my leaders. We have worked for two years, and, but now we have to let go our hands and entrust you to the word of God's grace, which is able to build. I knew that, I knew that, but I needed to hear the reminder and encouragement both then and last Sunday and today. Now, how can we be so sure that Grace Church is going to last? Our confidence rests in nothing else, nothing else, but the power of the Word of God and the work of His Spirit to build. Jesus always is by His Spirit present with us to build us up through His Word. So what does the future hold according to Paul? It's, going not, it's not going to be easy. It's not going to be easy. But Paul and we can be optimistic. Why? The church that lasts is the church that is ready for the future, that constantly remembers and stands on faithful proclamation of the gospel. But that is also a church which is cautious about who and how teaches the word of God. But we are confident that God's work is not going to fail aren't we? Why? Because Jesus loves and cares for his church. He himself cares for his church, which he has bought by his blood. And he builds it through the work of the word of his grace. Let's pray.
Our loving Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your abundant grace that is enough for us, as it was enough for Paul. Thank you so much today that you want us to remember. You want us to remember both Paul's sincere and faithful witness and ministry amongst Ephesians. And Father, we do give thanks today for Malcolm's and Ruth, sincere and faithful witness and serving over 12 years here at Grace Church. Father, thank you for this wonderful example that really motivates us and inspires us to continue serving one another. And Father, we take with all seriousness the warnings, the warnings about the future. Father, we know that the church that is, that is left on its own and does not follow the apostles' teaching is in great danger. So, Father, may we pray that we would be the church that really follows the, uh, the apostolic teaching, the words of Jesus as he handed them down to the apostles, the whole counsel of God. And may we be really encouraged to act responsibly at present. So it's such a privilege and it's such a responsibility to care for God's people. So Father, also I, I pray for us that I might be of some use as I seek to fulfill my role, my ministry. But Father, we pray for ourselves too that as we, as we move into this next phase of work and ministry, we would learn and grow in you, in your love and grace to care for, e for each other more and more for your name's sake so that your name might be magnified and glorified in our church and in this city. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.